Just for a second, I want to welcome again everybody that's tuned in online. Let's welcome our Global X fam one more time. Maybe you're watching this later on YouTube. It's so good to have you with us. And in case I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is Jesse. Um, and I have the honor and privilege of being the next gen pastor here at X Church. And some of you are like, thank you. It's very kind of you. But some of you are like, who is Jen and why is she next and why are you the pastor of it? Um, that's short for next generation, which is just fancy words for I get to help lead and serve and love on our kids and our youth. And uh, uh, I want to introduce you to my family. I brought a picture of them because I know maybe I'm a newer face to you. So there's my family. They're definitely the best part about knowing me is you get to know them. Um, that's my wife, Sarah, who's sitting in this experience right now. Um, we've been together for five and a half years. Nailed it. Um, and uh, I'm holding our oldest, Milo, who is three years old, going on 13 in the best kind of way. Um, he's just the sweetest and smartest little kid you'll ever talk to. And then my wife is holding our four-month-old chunk of joy named Cooper. He's the smilest little ham. We call him Ham because he just he smiles uh, so much. And my wife and I were just so uh, grateful, honored, thankful um, that we get to be a part of X Church. And there's a thousand reasons for that. Uh, but one of the reasons we love this place so much is that this is a church and this is a group of people that I'm looking at right now that care about the next generation. That this is a place that... Right now, my three-year-old, Milo, is not being babysat, but there is somebody that has volunteered their time to encourage, inspire, and motivate his faith. And that's why we do crazy stuff like load up two charter buses full of stinky hormonal teenagers and drive for 15 hours to Daytona Beach, Florida, so that we can go in after the presence of God. And I'd love to just tell you maybe a couple of stories from camp. Is that okay? All right, so... If you didn't grow up around church or the church camp kind of experience, camp is a really special thing. And it's kind of difficult to articulate kind of the, we'll call it the magic that camp has. It's not magic. It's Jesus, but, you know, whatever. Um, there's a kid in our middle school ministry that um, just super quiet, super shy, doesn't play any of the games. And this isn't a joke. Up until this trip, I didn't know whether or not he had teeth because he never smiled. He never talked. I mean, he was the kid that walked into the room and just kind of did this and would look up at you like, you know, over his glasses kind of. And uh, he signed up to go to camp, which is awesome. But I was a little nervous because camp looks like what you just saw. I mean, it's, it's kind of intense sometimes. And, uh, but he signed up and that's awesome. And it was our first full day there. And it was lunchtime and I was walking around all the tables saying hi to everybody. Like, hey, what, are you going to the beach this afternoon? Whatever, whatever. And as I walk up to his table, he looks me in the eye, which is the first time that's ever happened, smiled with his teeth and said, hey, Pastor Jesse. And that seems so insignificant when I tell that story, maybe. But that shows how camp, going away, going to a different environment, has the ability to open kids up and drop their walls so that Jesus can meet them right where they're at. And... One more quick story. Um, there's another middle school boy that signed up to go on this trip. And if I'm going to be honest, he was probably one of the kids that heard we were going to the beach and just wanted to go for that reason, which is fine. That's great. I love those kids. But he was a little standoffish, 
kind of approach the, the sessions, the church stuff, kind of at an arm's length, like, I'm not here for this stuff. When are we going to the beach? And that's fine. I'm super glad he came. And it was Wednesday night after the evening session. And we were going up. They had reserved a room for us so our church could go and do small groups and kind of process what they had heard throughout the day and uh, talk about it as a group. And as I walked up to the room, he was standing outside of it. And he was emotional. And the tricky thing about youth ministry is when you walk into a situation like that, it's like, did the sons just lose the finals? Did your girlfriend just dump you? Or did Jesus just change your life? And it could really be any of those. And there's really, when you're walking in, there's no way to know. Um, So I pulled him aside and was trying to get him to tell me what was going on. And uh, he struggled to actually talk for a couple of minutes. And uh, when he finally could get words out, he said, I don't know, something just feels different. And he said, I feel like God did something. And uh, if that doesn't show the power of doing something crazy like camp, where a kid that walked into camp thinking, I'm not here for any of this church stuff, I just want to go to the beach and meet cute girls and whatever uh, motivates a middle school boy, <laughs> to say, okay, I just experienced something, and something is different. It was so good. I could really, I could, we could be here until Tuesday, me telling you stories about camp. Uh, But I do want to share one more quick one. Is that okay? One more short one? Okay. So that same Wednesday night session um, where that kid was emotional afterwards, um, a guy named Brad Jones preached, who's one of the pastors at Passion, um, just an incredible leader, communicator, awesome guy. He was preaching about how Jesus is the light of the world and that when we follow and stay close to the light of the world, we then reflect his light and we become the light of the world to everyone around us. It was an incredible message. And because he's preaching to a room full of teenagers, he's getting a little creative and making them stay engaged. And uh, so he pulled a kid out of the crowd and said, hey, wherever I go in this arena, you're following me. The people that went to camp are laughing because they know how this story ends. And so it was great. So this kid follows him around, and then he takes off running, and the kid's following him. Then he'd stop, and the kid would run into him. It was great. It's a great illustration, one that I'll probably rip off someday. And uh, he gets near the end, and he's making his way back up towards the platform. And there's kind of like an aisleway he's running around, and he decides, because there's an empty chair right there, that he's going to cut the corner short and jump the chair and make his way back up. And you know there's only one reason I would tell you this story, and it's not because he made the jump perfectly. His toe caught the edge of the chair. He falls and hits the floor hard, like so hard that I was like, you guys need me to preach? Because he's dead. <laughs> and, uh, but he got back up. He was fine. And to his credit, he played it off like a pro, handled it so well, made a joke out of it, and it was awesome. And uh, I feel like this is the kind of story that's better with visual aids. So I brought a video of this happening. So now before we play the video, I gotta set it up. So it's not the best quality video. Um, It is a cell phone video of a video because the next morning they actually, they replayed it so that we could all laugh at it one more time. And one of our leaders pulled out their phone real quick and recorded the screen while it was playing. So in the video, you're gonna see a screen. You gotta look at that. Don't look at the actual people that are in real life in the video. Look at the screen and you'll be able to see what happened. Let's check out the video. And boom. 
and Night Night Nelly. Should we watch that one more time? Okay, let's watch one more time. Chair, nope, bam. Oh my gosh. Brutal. I for real, I'm telling you, I was like, he's not going to wake up for a while. And uh, excuse this cheesy transition that's about to happen, but what a metaphor for life. Everything's going just according to plan. Everything's going according to the five-year plan. I planned we were going to be here at this point, and we are. And then out of nowhere, something happens, and you end up flat on your face. And I know we're all sick of hearing about it, but maybe you were Brad Jones, and 2020 was the concrete floor that you hit. Maybe one day you're just sitting having dinner, and your spouse looked up and said, hey, I think I want a divorce. Or you're just going for a routine checkup. And now you need to go see a specialist because something's not right. I think we've all been around the block enough to know that these things happen in our life. This is part of the human experience. I know this is true of my wife and I. It was a few years ago. We uh, both had just graduated college with degrees in the field that fields that we were passionate in, me ministry, her teaching. Um, we had just gotten married a few months before. We just moved into a brand new apartment that we were super excited about. She was in line to get a teaching job she was really excited about. I had just started working at the church a few months earlier. And uh, everything's going according to plan. Perfect. And uh, then one Sunday afternoon after church, she said, hey, I think we need to go to Walgreens and buy a pregnancy test. And if you know me at all, I'm pretty even keeled. It takes a lot to get me riled up. My highs aren't very high. My lows aren't very low. I'm pretty right in the middle most of the time. So when she said that, I responded with, cool. <laughs> let's go. You know, let's, Walgreens is 24-7. Let's, let's go. <laughs> Internally, though, panic, paralysis. If you've ever watched SpongeBob and you remember the scene where there's a bunch of SpongeBob's in his head and everything's on fire, that's what it was. And so to make a long story short, she takes the test. It's positive. So out of nowhere, we're about to be parents. And so what initially was panic turned into excitement over the next couple of days. And it was really exciting to watch Sarah get excited because she had, uh, you know, when you ask a kid, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, when somebody would ask her that, she'd probably say the generic, I want to be a teacher or an astronaut or a rodeo clown or something. But her real answer when she was being honest was, I just want to be a mom. And so now that dream was going to be realized. And so I had always dreamed about being a dad, so I was really excited. And we told our families, it was around Easter, so we had got these little eggs that had this, that, that grass plastic stuff that doesn't replicate anything that actually exists in nature. I don't know why we call it grass. And said like hatching soon baby McCoy or whatever. Some Pinterest thing she did it. I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> and uh, one of the things I was really excited for was the first ultrasound where you got to see the little wiggly waveforms and hear the heartbeat, the whoosh, 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 right? And um, so we go to the ultrasound. They put the little jelly stuff, turn the machine on, and silence. No heartbeat. Come to find out that we had lost that baby. We had miscarried. 
And if you've been with us through the summer, you know we're in a series called Unstoppable, where we're learning about how the church thousands of years ago got its start and through the power of the Holy Spirit was unstoppable. And we've learned that the church was never meant to be just a building we come to, but a movement of people, a movement made up of you and I. But can I be honest with you that in that moment, sitting in that doctor's office, the last thing I felt was unstoppable. I didn't feel like I was a part of this movement that was bigger than me. I didn't feel any of that. We felt defeated, discouraged. We felt like giving up. And so it begs the question that how do we, as part of the unstoppable movement of the church, deal with these, let's call them unexpected setbacks in life? How do we deal with them? Because we know we're going to experience them. And so, you know, our series Unstoppable has been a study through the book of Acts. And I think there are three things that we can learn on how to deal with these situations from the book of Acts. So if you have your Bible or electronic device, go with me to Acts chapter 16. In the story we're going to pick up just to set the stage of what's happening, there's a guy named Paul, which if you were here several weeks ago, we learned about a guy named Saul who was persecuting the church, met Jesus on the road to Damascus, had his entire life, heart, eternity, and name changed to Paul. That's the guy we're reading about. And his, we'll call him his intern, his Padawan learner, if you're a Star Wars fan, Silas. And they're going around preaching the gospel. And for three days, it says, they are followed by a woman who is cursed with an evil spirit by which she predicts the future. And she was useful for making money for her owner. So she was living as a slave. And so for three days, she is following Paul and Silas around and harassing them, just like shouting at them, saying, these men are of Jesus. They're telling you the way to be saved. They're all this stuff. And so finally, after three days, Paul just gets irritated and just casts the spirit out of her. In the name of Jesus, be gone, or however that works. And... That upsets this woman's owners because now she doesn't have the spirit anymore. Now she can't predict the future. Now they can't make money. And so what happens is, is these owners, these guys, turn the entire town against Paul and Silas. And that's where we pick up the story in Acts 16, verse 22. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. You ever been in a situation that made you feel trapped? You ever been in a situation that made you feel like you were locked in prison? I've explained it before as like, it's almost like a weird sense of claustrophobia. Anybody else like me, claustrophobic, doesn't like tight spaces, freak out when you're in an airplane, stuff like that? I think some situations can be like that. And when we experienced our miscarriage, that's kind of the way it felt. was like, there's nothing I can do to get out of this. There's nothing I can do to change this. There's nothing I can do. I'm stuck. I'm trapped. And there are situations in our lives that leave us feeling like we're stuck in prison. And what's so interesting about this story about Paul and Silas is if you want to look at it black and white, they didn't actually break any laws. They didn't deserve to be beaten. They didn't deserve to be flogged. They didn't deserve to be thrown in prison. And I wonder if they felt the same way a lot of us feel when we encounter these unexpected setback moments in our lives. That I, Why is this happening? What happened? It's just a normal Thursday, and then now I'm in jail. It's just a normal Thursday, and now I've got to contact a specialist. It was just a Tuesday morning, and now I think I have to... 
I have to call the school because there's a problem with my kid. And, you know, that why question is such a tricky question. Um, I'm in the toddler phase of parenting right now, and the why question can be a tricky question to handle um, because I answer it 47,000 times a day. Why is the sky blue? I don't know. It just is. It's what color it is. And you know what's funny is toddlers get a bad rap for asking the why question, but in reality, we never actually grow out of that. The why question just changes. We ask, why did this happen? Why, is, why did this happen? I was doing everything right. Why is this going on? And I don't know if I have a good answer for you, unfortunately, but I do think there are probably four ways why things, ha- or four reasons why things happen. The first is just, well, I think we're all aware of this, we live in a broken planet. Not everything we experience in life is perfect. Not everything is going to go even the way God wants it to all the time because his creation was broken by sin, so now everything doesn't operate the same way. We live on a broken planet with broken people that can make bad choices, right? You ever experience some turmoil because of a decision somebody else made? Hello, parents. You ever have to deal with something your kid did and it caused some stress for you? And then the third reason, the one we don't like to talk about, is sometimes we make terrible decisions that end us in positions we don't want to be in, and we make bad financial choices, and then we end up somewhere we don't want. We make bad relationship choices, and we end up in a place we don't want. It happens. And I think, if I could say... Maybe 80 to 90% of the things we experience in our life probably fall into one of those three categories or a combination of them. But I think it's important that if you're here today and you're a Christ follower, you know that there is a fourth option. And I think maybe some of the things we experience in our life, there's more going on than just what what we see on the surface. And is it possible that some of the situations we encounter, there's more going on in the unseen than there is in the seen? And is it possible that there's more going on in the supernatural than there is in the natural? And if I could say it this way, and this is the first thing we can learn from this story, is that maybe your situation is spiritual. Could it be that your situation is spiritual? And we can deduce that that might be the case because the Bible tells us that the church has an adversary, has an enemy. And that's interesting and that's important to note because not a lot of things in our life function as enemies, right? We say that a lot, but like, let's say Apple, which I heard recently is the most profitable company in the world. I read it on the internet, so clearly it's true. (laughs) Apple doesn't actually have enemies. They have competitors. And that's different. You and I have an enemy. You and I have an adversary. And I think maybe the only, because the church is made up of people, the movement, the unstoppable movement of the church is made up of people. The only way he could pump the brakes on it is to mess with people. And it's tough to know if your situation is spiritual or isn't. Like I said, most of the things we encounter are probably not. You ever met somebody super spiritual that thinks everybody, everything that ever happens is an attack of the enemy? Like they stub their toe and are like, man, the enemy's after me again. Man, he's really working on me today. Or like, maybe I've heard this before. I don't think I've heard any of you say it, but if you have, sorry, I'm coming for you for a second. You ever like, I heard somebody who say one time they were late to church. Man, the traffic getting here was just crazy. It's just the enemy trying to keep us out of church today. 
maybe. <laughs> or could it be that you hit snooze three times that morning, you still stopped at Starbucks even though you were running late, and then you hit a normal amount of traffic congestion for this time of day, and that's what made you late. That's too real. We don't want to talk about that stuff. <laughs> or maybe you're somebody like Pastor Russ and then just has car trouble all the time, it seems. And uh, yeah, he said pray for him. Cause... And maybe you've got something wrong with your car. Maybe you hit something and you get a flat tire. And now suddenly it feels like an attack of the enemy because you don't have the money, the resources to cover it. And maybe could I just suggest that maybe it's not an attack of the enemy, but maybe we haven't been stewarding our finances the right way and we're living with no safety net. And so regular things that are going to happen, we all know are going to happen, happen, and we think, oh my gosh, the enemy's after me. When in reality, it's just us not setting ourselves up for success. So a lot of the things are that way. And it's tough to know the difference um, that's why you need some good, solid Jesus people as friends. You need to be in a circle because they can help you process and see, no, I think you just made a bad call there. Or, no, maybe there is something going on here. But one quick test to know whether or not your situation may be spiritual is that every time my wife and I have encountered what we would call spiritual headwind or resistance or opposition has always followed a big step of faith. That every time we stepped out and said, okay, we think God's calling us to do this. It's a little scary, but we're going to go for it. Almost every single time we have encountered some kind of unexpected setback along the way. And it's important for us to know that some of the things that we encounter in our lives are spiritual because that will change the way we respond to them. So if you take notes, write that down. Maybe your situation is spiritual. And let's continue to see how Paul and Silas responded in verse 25 about midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken at once the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose I think Paul and Silas knew that their situation was spiritual because how they chose to respond I think when you and I are stuck in this kind of situation, we start scheming, we start getting angry, we start planning, we start strategizing of how am I going to get myself out of this? Paul and Silas didn't do that. You know, if I was Paul, I would have been trying to pick the lock on the stocks that were around my ankle. I wouldn't try and feed cheese to the prison dog so we would go get the keys because that's how it works in the movies. I would have been yelling at Silas, why'd you let me do that? Now we're stuck here, you idiot. Apparently, I make myself Paul in this situation. Um, but they didn't do any of that. They chose instead to worship. They chose instead to pray. And sometimes I think the Bible's written kind of funny because what we just read was a miracle, was insane. Like, I don't know about your life. I've never seen anything that crazy in my life before. And yet, none of us went nuts. Like, they got out of prison. It's crazy. Because I think it's just such a passing phrase of, oh, well, about midnight, they didn't have anything better to do, so they just decided to pray and sing. And then an earthquake happened and their chains fell off. Cool. Deal. And I think maybe it gives us this 
idea that because Paul is this hero of the Bible, and this is a Bible story, that maybe Paul and Silas didn't have actual emotions like we do. Like maybe they, they weren't scared. They weren't angry. They weren't fearful. They weren't afraid for their life. No. They were just singing kumbaya and holding hands and saying, Jesus, you're just the best, and I'm thankful for these stocks. They're very comfortable. And uh, just thank you for this opportunity to sit in jail today. I haven't seen this part of the town, and it's, I could do without it, but I mean, it's fine. That's probably not how it was. Because they would have felt all the same things we feel when we're trapped in a situation like that. They would have felt all the same emotions. They would have been confused, angry, upset, scared, all of it. And so maybe it wasn't like they were singing and praying because they had nothing better to do. Maybe they were singing and praying because it was the only thing they could do. And so maybe their prayers weren't, God, thank you for this beautiful jail cell. Maybe it was, God, I've seen you do miracles before. I've seen you move in my life. I've seen you set captives free. And right now, I'm literally a captive. I need you to come and do something in this situation right here. I know you hold every victory in your hand, and so I am trusting you with this situation. And I think what we can learn from them is that when you're in a spiritual battle, when your situation is spiritual, you need a spiritual weapon. And so worship is your weapon. Worship is your weapon. When we're fighting a spiritual battle, we need a spiritual weapon. And I think what their worship accomplished was actually very simple. And if I could say this, maybe, maybe our most beneficial or most important or most significant worship isn't the worship when we're doing great and we get a goosebump, but maybe it's when we don't know how the situation is going to turn out. And in that moment, we choose to worship because what I think their worship accomplished was getting their eyes off of the situation, off of the chains that were literally on their hands and back on to the one who can set them free. And so when we feel like there's nothing we can do, we can worship our way out because worship is our weapon. And we could stop there. And I think most of us expect the story to stop there. They got into a bad situation, they worshiped, and they got out. The end. Thank you. But could it be that when we find ourselves in these unexpected setbacks, that God's plan, that God's purpose is maybe a little bit bigger than just getting us out? Could it be possible that he plans to do more? And I think that's true of this situation. Let's continue in our story in Acts 16, starting in verse 27. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Apparently, that was a better option than telling his boss that everyone escaped. (laughs) But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all others in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds, and then immediately he and all his household were baptized. You see, God didn't just get them out. 
God didn't just meet them in their prison, which is incredible enough, but he took that situation and brought good out of it. It was about more than just simply rescuing Paul and Silas, which he did, but it was also, oh no, in this terrible situation you weren't ready for, I'm gonna work. I'm gonna bring about some good. And I'm gonna use you in this position to lead this jailer and his family to, to know me. And we actually see this throughout scripture a bunch of different times where an unexpected setback, an unexpected situation, a bad thing happens. And then we watch, does not only God demonstrate his faithfulness time and time again, but he also can use even the most broken, messed up situations for good and his glory. And Paul learned this time and time again. Be thankful you didn't, you're not living the same life as Paul because this was not the last time he found himself in jail. Um, he was shipwrecked at one point, and this was back when the Coast Guard didn't exist, so that was a real big problem. And when he was shipwrecked, we actually read about it, that the island he washed up on, he actually ended up leading them to Jesus too. And I think he tried to summarize this thought when he wrote a letter to the church in Rome. That's what we call the book of Romans. Romans 8.28 says that we know in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Man, I love the confidence in that sentence. We know, not we think, not probably, not maybe. We know that God works in all things. Of course God works in the good things. Of course God works when we go to church and we're serving and we're at circle and our kids are on the honor roll. Of course God works. But it's not just in those moments. It is in all things. God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. And I think if Paul was gonna say this a different way, he'd say, your setback is a setup. Some of you need to write that down. Your setback is a setup. Paul and Silas experienced a setback. I mean, there's no debating that. But it was in that moment that God set them up for an even greater good. And uh, a little bit about me, that's actually my favorite verse in all of Scripture, Romans 8, 28, um, which sounds a little weird because it's like saying you have a favorite pizza. It's like, it's pizza. It's all delicious. It's all great. It's all amazing. But I love that verse so much because I've just watched it play out time and time again in my life. I've watched it literally in real living color. I've watched it be true. Back to our story of our miscarriage. Um, uh, It was, I'm not gonna try and sugarcoat it. It was not a fun season. It wasn't great. There's lots of tears, lots of anger, lots of asking that, God, why did this happen? And can I be honest? I don't know if we still have an answer to that question. But what I do know is that we have watched time and time again where we have been able to use our experience of going through a miscarriage to help love and comfort somebody else. One of our favorite things we get to do is when we hear about somebody we know that's experiencing that, in a weird way, we kind of get excited because it's like, hey, there's somebody we can comfort. There's somebody we can talk to and we can go to their house and we can take them pizza and just say, 
we know how awful this is. You need a hug? I'm not a hugger, but I'll hug you. We have watched God time and time again bring good out of that bad situation. And here's what's important to know. Don't mishear me and say that suddenly we're thankful that we had a miscarriage. We're not. And this may not sound very pastory, but even though we've seen good come out of it time and time again, if I go back in time and make it not happen, I probably still would. But the reality is, is that, what did Jesus say? In this life, we will face hardships. We will face trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. There is no situation that I can't redeem. There's no situation I can't restore. There's no situation that I can't use to bring about good. So even though I still wish it didn't happen, I'm so grateful that God didn't waste it. I'm so grateful that he brought purpose to our pain. And it wasn't until a few years ago that this verse, Romans 8, 28, really became like something I was going to just, I was going to banner. I was, it was my banner. I was going to rally under it. It was the late summer of 2018. We had just had Milo. So coming out of the miscarriage and then had healthy baby boy Milo. The dreams of being parents finally realized Sarah had just gotten a new teaching job that she's still at and loves. Everything was going right. I think we had just got a new car around then or something. But everything on the surface was going perfect. And if you were here last week for our child dedication moment, one of the things I said was parenting has a way of being a mirror that makes you come face to face with every insecurity, every inadequacy, every insufficiency you feel like you have. And that was very much happening in my life. And while everything on the outside was, I mean, for all intents and purposes, the American dream, perfect. I started to struggle with a very real depression, um, which culminated in starting to have thoughts like, hey, your son, your wife, your church, your friends, they'd probably all be better if you weren't around anymore. And uh, if you've been there, you know how horrible that is. And uh, I think just for a second, I'd like to pause because I think there's some people in here right now that are in that spot. And maybe you haven't been real honest even with yourself yet about how you're feeling. And uh, I'd like to take a moment just because this topic is so near and dear to my heart. I want to take a second and talk to you. Two things I'd love to tell you if you're in that spot right now. Now, one... It's okay to feel the way you feel. It's okay to feel the way you feel. You're not crazy. You're not insane. You haven't lost your mind. Because again, I was telling myself all that stuff. Listen, everything's perfect. You just bought a house in the neighborhood you always wanted to live in. You just had a kid. You're a dad. Your wife is killing it at the mom game. You work at a church for crying out loud. What's wrong with you? There's nothing wrong with you. It's okay to feel the way you feel. But listen, this, this part's maybe more important. And I love that, I love that our culture has destigmatized mental health and it's, it, we as a culture have embraced it and we know, hey, it's okay to not be okay, but listen to me. This is so important. It's not okay for you to stay down there. It's not okay for you to accept that this is just where I live now. 
it's not okay for you to say, well, I guess I'm just going to deal with these feelings forever. Come on, you were created for way more than that. Way more. It's okay to wind up down there every once in a while, but it's not okay to just stay down there. And so I didn't do everything right through that time, and I'm grateful for my friends and the leaders in my life that pointed me the right direction. And if you're curious at all, I'll give you my five-step program to get out of depression, okay? I'm not a counselor. I'm not going to pretend to be, but here's what I did. They're really spiritual. Are you ready? Like seminary-level stuff. I got honest with my wife, and I told her how I was feeling. I said, hey, I don't know quite where this is coming from or even how to tell you, and I know you can't do anything about it really, but I just need to tell you. I told two friends, two, not Facebook. I told two friends that I trusted and that I value their advice. I told a mentor of mine. And then ready for the really spiritual things? I talked to my doctor and got on a prescription, which by the way, I'm on right now still. I just think it's okay to have Jesus in a prescription. I think that's okay. You may differ. That's fine. And then I saw a Christian counselor. You know, maybe you've heard, if you've been around for a while, that we have a list of counselors that we recommend. You can, by the way, you can get that list at Next Steps today, right now. You know what I did? I got that list and went, I like his name. I'll go see him. And I kept seeing him until he told me I was done. I can't tell you the number of times I'll talk to people and they'll be dealing with similar stuff. And I'll say, well, have you talked to somebody? Yeah, I went to counseling once, but I just didn't think it helped. You gotta keep going. You gotta keep going. You gotta keep going. And um, I'd love to tell you more about that story. Um, my life, when it comes to that, is a wide open book. So if you've got questions afterwards or you need somebody to talk to, talk to me out in the foyer, send me an email. I'd love to talk with you. But can I tell you that that season, God did more good than maybe any other season I've ever experienced in my life. I'll just talk about internally first. That season where uh, like I was at my lowest of low, tell you first of all, God was faithful to me. He met me every day. But in that season, he actually rewired and reframed my view of him because I had had a correct, incorrect view of God most of my adult life and God used this season and my Christian counselor and holding on to scripture for hope because it was the only thing I had to really reframe my view of him. And so now because I went through that season, I am experiencing truer and more authentic relationship with him because of my unexpected setback. And then I think the most maybe powerful practical tool I have in leading and pastoring, mentoring young people is not something I learned in college, is not something I read in a book, but it's actually just the story of mental illness I went through that I've used that way more. And I'll never forget 
Um, it was about six to nine months after I initially started feeling this. I had been to a counselor. I was on a prescription. I was, I was on the up and up. And I remember she asked to meet with me. A, a, a teenage girl asked to meet with me because she was experiencing similar feelings. And uh, again, I'm not a counselor. I won't pretend to be. But I'll never forget listening to her talk and tears welling up in my eyes because I was like, I kind of know how I can help you. I've, I've, I can at least empathize with you. I can show you the things I did. I can show you the scriptures I've been holding on to. I've been using the songs I've been using, the worship songs that I've used as my weapon in this season. I can show you how in the middle of it, God reframed my view of him, and now I'm actually closer with him as a result of what I went through. I can do that. And so I've just watched time and time again Romans 8, 28, play out to be true. I've watched God use setbacks as setups time and time again. And I just need you to hear that there is no situation you're experiencing right now or have experienced or will experience for that matter. That's too far gone, that's too hopeless, that's too dark, that's too messed up for God to not only redeem and rescue you in, but take that situation and you'll watch God bring about more good than you could ever imagine. If you would please stand with me. I think there's some people in here today that have encountered maybe some spiritual headwind and haven't quite known how to handle it. And uh, again, I don't have answers to all the why questions, but what I do know is I know who sits on the throne. I know who controls everything. I know who can take even the worst situation and turn it good. And I think maybe there's some other people in here that maybe for all intents and purposes right now your life is fine. You know, I wish I had more money or a bigger house, but you know, everything's fine. But maybe a few years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, something happened to you and you haven't quite gotten over it yet. Maybe you're still angry. angry for a lot of reasons, but maybe your anger is still rooted in that why question. God, I just wish I knew why this happened. Maybe then it would make it all better. Could I maybe pose knowing why won't make it better? Well, what may help is that if you could keep that anger from blinding you to the good that God is trying to bring out of it, maybe it'll help you see that season in at least a little different light. Like I said, we may not be thankful that all these things happened to us. But maybe there's a situation that happened years ago that you haven't quite gotten over. That maybe your anger or resentment or bitterness towards that moment has kept you from seeing the good that God wants to bring out of it. I think this moment is just so important. Because there, if you haven't experienced it yet, there's going to be a moment where we're going to not know what to do. I don't know how to fight this battle. And we've got to remember that in those moments, we serve a God that makes darkness light. And if we need any further convincing that this is how our God works, we need to look no further than the cross. 
the moment in time that could have been deemed the darkest moment in all of history, when the King of Kings and Lord of Lords stepped down off of his throne, took on flesh, made himself vulnerable, and then the disciples had to sit there and watch their hopes die. God says, no, in this moment, this is how I work. I'm going to use the darkest moment in history and turn it into the brightest by delivering salvation to all people everywhere. And so maybe the encouragement you need to hear is that the darker your situation, the brighter tomorrow might be. That the more heartbroken you feel right now, the more hope you may have next week. Because our God works best when the situation is darkest, when it feels hopeless, when it feels impossible. Pastor Russ taught us last week that God starts at impossible. And I'd like to add that God God starts at impossible and he lives at hopeless. When the situation is most hopeless, that's when it's most likely that God is going to show up and do something we could never imagine. So in this moment, let's pray. God, we just put our attention back on you. We put our focus back on you that whatever battle we are facing, whatever divorce, whatever disease, whatever diagnosis, whatever financial situation, it sits underneath your name. We put our trust in you. We put our focus on you. And we simply say, God, fight this battle for us because we don't know how to. God, we trust that you hold every victory in your hand. And because you are fighting this battle, we will see a victory. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church. Thanks so much for tuning in to this message. I hope that it encouraged you and inspired your faith. If God is doing something in your life, would you take a moment and let us know? We wanna connect with you and we wanna be able to pray for you. All you have to do is shoot us an email to hello at the x.church or you can always send us a DM on one of our social media platforms. And if you know somebody that would also be encouraged by this very message, why not take a moment and just share it with them right now? And as always, I want to say thank you to every single person who so generously financially supports this ministry so we can continue to get messages like these out to people all over the world. We believe God is building something special and you're a significant part of it. Until next time, have a great day.